How many have ever seen the Golden Gate Bridge? Aha. Uh -huh. All right. How many? One, two, Golden Gate. Okay. Um, it is, it's a marvel, isn't it? You know, the Golden No, it's not. Jan says no. Well, well the Golden Gate, Gate Bridge, I think, is, was con, is considered really one of the marvels in the world. I said, how many have seen the Golden Gate? Because it is such, it's out there, isn't it? I mean, if you go to San Francisco, you have to see the bridge. Jan would rather not, but most people would rather see, would love to see the bridge. It was built in 1937, which, and was considered at the time the tallest bridge, suspended bridge in the world. It costs, now it depends on what, who, what, what you look up on your internet, internet or whatever. I was kind of scrolling around, and it costs be anywhere between $27 million to build up to $35 million. Now, if you translate that in today's dollars, that same bridge will cost probably well, well over $500 million to build. The Golden Gate was built, was designed for really one goal. That was to bring two masses together that have been separate land masses, San Francisco and, and Marin County. And of course, it's only, the gate's only about one mile long. So anyway, I, no matter how long I talk about the Golden Gate, Jan's not going to be impressed. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. God had his plan for Jesus, as we know, to come into this world. He's the bridge. Why? Because God created each and every one of us to have fellowship with him. But something tragic happened. This is Sunday School 101. Something tragic happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned in disobedience. When they did that, they broke fellowship with God. As a result of that sin, the original sin, we have broken fellowship with God because of our own sin and rebellion. So God put together a plan. And he put together a plan to bridge that spiritual gap caused by sin that has separated us from him. We're going to talk about that today. You've heard that many times, but there's something here for you today. There's something here for you. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's, let's start off. I want to look at my first thought is the high and exalted one. From Isaiah 57, 14, and 15. We are going to be in 15 a lot here this morning. Because there again, I think there's so many nuggets that we can gain from these passages. Verse 14. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy I live in a high and holy place, but also, here it comes, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite 
In verse 14, we have the promise that, of God's grace that he will make our road clear of obstacles as we follow him. In verse 15a says, the high and exalted one, our fallen nature gets bent out of shape when someone or some social political institution tells them what to do. Even the high and exalted one in our fallen world gets bent out of shape thinking that God has God has authority over them, over this world. So what culture does, the fallen culture is they, they experiment with a variety of ideologies. And boy, we got them today. You got sexuality. You got gender issues. You have... You have cancer culture. You have that woke stuff that's out there. You have racism. Everybody's a racist. You realize that? No matter what you say, what I say right now, somebody's calling me a racist. So that's thrown out there. You have political and social intolerance. And you have so many... Turn my back on you. So many issues... Church, religion, preferences, etc. Society says this. Our society says, I want to live my life free. I want to live my life free as I please. No restrictions. I just, you know, get, you know, don't tell me, you know, don't tell me I want to live my life free. That's the, that's the religious culture today. Who needs God? I don't need God to tell me what to do. I don't need God. He, you might need God, but I don't need God. Am I loud? I am loud? Okay, I'll tone it down. Um, so that is, my, that is my first thought. And then we move on to verse 15 again. Stay that went in 15. He who, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. The Bible says no one can rise, you know, to God's level, that he is holy, that God is should be exalted, means he has power over, over everything, nations, trends. God is all God. Yet, yet God's desire is to build that bridge. That spiritual gap between us and him. He wants to build an identity with us. Amen? But most society wants to shut him down. They want to put God in his place. Can you believe that? We don't need God. And guess what? God has been shut down in our churches. We don't need him. You know? Because we have been so influenced by the ways of this world. And the church has become so enslaved to the ways of this world. I don't know what I would do if I had young ones, you know, living in, in this today's world. I probably know one thing. I'd probably keep them out of the public schools. You know? I say that over here, but then I say, No. Because they need to understand the ways of the world as they grow up. We cannot keep our kids in a cocoon. Sooner or later, they're going to expand from that. I know that's another subject, 
and another time, but, and I can get in trouble with this one, because my kids went to public schools or whatever, and I wouldn't change that. And from my, remember, this is my perspective, you have yours. When it comes to your own children, you do what God's called you to do. You know, I see, well, anyway, that's enough of that. Katie says, you're going too far, dude, stay right, don't go any further than that, that's it. But that's my point is, there, everything is scrambled eggs today. You know, it really is. You know, we are to be in the world, but not of the world, you know. But we're also not to be so heavenly minded that we're absolutely no earthly good. And I want us to see that today very well because there's something coming down the road here that is going to be very humbling for yours truly. So you can never say that your pastor just, you know, gives himself a pass. I won't do that. Okay, are you with me so far? I hope so. So we're going to look at number two. Where does God's favor rest? Again, verse 15. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit. In this context, the contrite person is one who's beaten down, crushed in spirit. They have been wounded in life. They have been misunderstood, persecuted by their own peers and sometimes even their own family. Some get, get so beaten down in this world that they feel like they are isolated, you know, that they are a lost cause. And that happens a lot, doesn't it? They don't measure up. They don't measure up. And boy, I tell you, well, here it comes, Chris. Some of you have heard a little bit of this, but, you know, I'll kind of add to it. I, when I was in school, in high school for me was great. I loved high school. I loved everything about it except for the studying part. That was just like a necessary evil for me. So what was my concern in high school? I didn't have parents. I was pretty much, I had a place to, to, to sleep, but nobody gave me really any guidance. And so I got involved in the sports. Then my, my next thought was, okay, what could be the negative thing about this? Well, you could become ineligible. Oh, I don't want to do that. That would just ruin my whole thing. So I said, okay, I want, what do I have to do to stay on the track or in the, on the court or whatever it is? Well, you have to have a certain grade point average, right? I figured, okay, what is it? Well, you can't have any Fs. Cool. What's the next step? Ds, I'll take it. I'll take it. That was my high school. That was my high school. Some of my friends were honor students. I thought, whoa. Well, that's good for you, but not for me. That just, that just messes up my, my, my plans. So, in my senior year, I was called into the principal's office. And he sat down and he said, Denny, he said, you have, you have a, a scholarship offer to run track 
at the university. I thought, cool, am I so good? I can get in a scholarship. I figured I, I needed it because I didn't have any money. But then he dropped the bomb. He said, but, he says, it's not going to happen because of your grades. That's when it really hit me. When I became so humble, I thought, what did I do? What did I do with those four years? I could have had a ride. I could have had, you know, this all set up for me. Now, I say this not to brag about God gave me some gifts. But you know what? You have gifts too. What's the other side of that that coin? I failed. I failed to use that gift because really of sin and selfishness. I wanted what I wanted, but I didn't want to put in, I never thought, and nobody said, guess what? You better pick up on your grades because you might have something down the road. So you got the, in, in my own world, my own little world, you, I got some glory, but then I got defeat. I got so, so humbled. So what did I do? You think, well, this is all about Denny today. Well, yes. No. So what I do is I thought, well, that lesson learned. I want to learn the lesson. So what I did, I went to school because I had to get the grades up, obviously. And I think I was so wounded, Mike, by that. I was so wounded that I started to question my own abilities. So I went back to, went to college and initially because I wanted to prove that I could do it. I wanted to prove that I wasn't a D student. I'm better than that. So I did for a semester. Then I went, well, okay. I still was young. I still wanted to run track. So I thought, well, the scholarship stuff is over at this point. And I thought, well, I still wanted to, to be involved in it. My grades now were were up where any, any university would accept me. So I decided on Whitewater. You think that, that I would learn a lesson, but my pride got in the way again. So I get to Whitewater. The only thing good that really came out of Whitewater was my wife. And back in those days, Whitewater was a party school. And that fit, I fit in there like a glove. I mean, whoa. So my, for me, my plan was to enroll at Whitewater and then uh, be a walk-on for the track team. So that was my goal. So what they did, I couldn't get a scholarship because that was too late, whatever. So the, the athletic department, they set me up with a job. I had a job, whatever. But what happened there is, Instead of walking into the athletic department, I basically walked into the bars. I walked into the social life. I walked into all of that. And my group of friends, wonderful guys, but we were nasty. We did a lot of bad stuff. Pride. I get humbled again. The only thing to say to me, this is for you young people here, study. 
was my wife, <clears throat> Goody Two Shoes. You know, in, in, when she was in school, she sat in the front of the, of the class. Who does that? I always wanted to find the seat way in the back so I could sleep. And so, so but what, what came out of that, out of God humbling me, but he gave me a life preserver. He gave me something that she validated me. She said, you know something? You can turn your life around. You can do this. You are smart. Well, you know what I'm saying. You know, it was nice for the wife to say that. You know, you can do this. So I thank her for where I'm at because she motive, she gave me the confidence I needed to do what I needed to do. So I turned around from being that runaway from the academics to running to the academics, which is kind of in- interesting. Uh, with, but anyway, I want to stop there because that really, the, you know, we need to understand that God rules in favor of the contrite and humble. I was so humbled, so embarrassed, but God used me and he lifted me up. And so I don't look at that. I don't look at someone. I don't look at a young person and I see that they're goofing off. I don't see failure. I see opportunity. I see opportunity. Give them opportunity. You know, give them opportunity. I had people looked at me and said, you're a low lifer. You're just an old dumb jock. That's all you are, just looking for the girls, looking for this. Look at, that's all you are. That's how I was stereotyped in my hometown. Again, when I became a pastor, they thought that was the end of the world. Of all people, why him? Why him? See, God is God. He will do, he takes the lowly and he'll build them up. If, excuse me, if they're open to receive him. Amen and amen. It does get better, but I wanted to set that up for you because I think, I think sometimes people have reservation that God is even out there, much less even cares. That's where I was in the faith. And maybe God's out there, but my life has been so bad, I've been so beaten up, I don't think he even cares about who I am, even if I even exist, that I'm a worthless person. That's how I felt about myself. God changed that. Let's go to Luke 18, 9-14. I love this. Uh, uh, Jesus is talking about, well, I'll just read it. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, prayed and prayed, God, I thank you, I love this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, or another translation, his chest, and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, 
For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble, them, humble themselves will be exalted. Now, the Pharisee was a, was a religious man who strictly followed the letter of the law, so he thought. And the other was the tax collector, and the Israelites hated the tax collectors. They were low lifers in their eyes. And then, let's go back to verse 11. Then the Pharisee prayed, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and gave a tenth of it all, of all I, of a, a, a tenth of all I get. He was prideful, full of himself. Look, God, look at me. Look, everyone, I'm so special, aren't I? I'm so beautiful. I'm so religious. I give all this money. Oh, you got to love me. That's who I am. I am just, I'm just a fantastic person. Words can't describe just how great I am. He, he made himself out to be the poster boy for self-righteousness. But Jesus thought differently. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He was beaten down by his own sin, his own unworthiness. So which of these men bridged that spiritual gap gap as he left the temple forgiven and justified before God. It was the tax collector who became what? He was contrite, he was humble, and he repented. I would suspect I would not hire a pastor if that pastor has not been humbled many times along the way. Because God, that being humble, really, and so if, we, if we start thinking too high of ourselves or thinking we're so good, well, guess what? You're looking for a fall because God's going to bring you down. Hear what I'm saying? Does God want to be successful? Yes. But on his terms, we give him glory. Amen and amen. So that is very important for us to do. I think sometimes with our mega pastors in these mega churches, whatever, they get, they get so pumped up because people constantly tell them how great and how good they are. You're so good. You're so great. You're building this big church. Before you know it, they're looking into the mirror. What do they see? Themselves. They see their own righteousness. They see just how good they are. No, no. Stay away from that because, you know, if people are patting you on the back and telling you how good you are, walk away. Walk away. This is all about God and not about us. This church is about God, not about me. It's not even about you. It's about him. We do all things for his glory and for his honor. And if we forget that, we have forgotten really a key component in understanding pride and being contrite. See if I can get this right. A Christian theologian once said, try 
try judging yourself not by what you meant, but by what you did. Because people, that's how people perceive us, by what we did. By what we did. Get your stinking thinking pride out of the way. If you think you're so good and you're so great, you've done this, well, guess what? Somebody's going to, you know, I used to think I was so good, but then I realized a long time ago, there's going to be somebody better than me. Somebody's going to be able to run faster. Somebody's going to be able to jump farther, whatever. They're, they're out there. I never made it to the Olympics, so how good am I? You know, it's all, you put it all in perspective. Amen and amen. A lot of silence. You know if it's good or bad. Number three, the final thought. The bridge that came with the ultimate price. I said earlier that the Golden Gate Bridge, if it were built today, it'd be over $500 million. Could we play some music, please? Oh, we have a few coming Sorry about that. I want us, as we close, I want us to consider this, that all human bridges are built that eventually they wear out and they need renovations or even replaced. However, God's bridge is eternal. It lasts forever. It never wears out. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8 Verses, verses 31 and 2. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I love this. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one can take away God's promises, including our salvation. Amen? The cross was without a doubt the most selfless act in human history. Therefore, will not God, in verse 32, graciously, graciously Give us all things. If God gave up his own son, don't you think he can supply all of our needs to live for him? God's bridge was not built using steel or concrete with a blacktop or pavement surface engineered by human ingenuity. Rather, God's bridge, listen to this, God's bridge was constructed using what? Two bulky pieces of wood bound together with nails driven into Jesus' hands and feet and attached to that cross. 
And this cross was surfaced by the costliest material of all, the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about that. We will miss Jesus Christ. We'll miss his whole message if we only seek him to heal us physically and emotionally. I'm not putting that down. Did not Jesus heal? Did not Jesus cast out demons? What did Jesus say about all of that? You come to me because of the miracles? Well, blessed are those who believe in me without seeing those miracles. That's the walk of faith. It's not all about a healing ministry. We miss the whole message if we think it's all about those things at the expense at the expense of the redemption of our souls. You can be healed. You can be healed. You're going to die. You can be healed of an affliction, but you're going to die. It is what it is what it is. We need to understand that we need to find that balance between God doing miraculous things through the Spirit and then understanding why he died in the first place. Why did he die? To bridge that spiritual gap that has separated us from our Creator. It's all about Christ. It's always been about Christ. Always will be. I will not preach anything to anyone outside of Jesus Christ. I will not do that. Someone once said to me, has God done a miracle in your life today? Yes. He saved me. That's my miracle. That's all I need. I just need him. That's all we need. That's all you need is just him. Then let him take care of the rest. Then trust that he would take care of the rest. He will supply your needs. But put the, the resurrection, the cross first. Pentecostals, doesn't matter. Baptists, it's about Christ crucified and Christ resurrected. One day all of us will stand before him in judgment. And for those that believe in Jesus Christ, they died on that cross. It's salvation. And those that denied him, is hell. That's the message. The ultimate message is, are you saved? Are we saved? And for you to say, well, yeah, I've heard that a gazillion times. Then what are you doing about it? Are you praying and asking God to bring people into your life so you can share that same message that saved you from hell? Are you giving that message to somebody else or are you just sticking with your own group where you feel nice and comfortable? Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. 
Jesus got out of his comfort zone, didn't he? That guy's constantly badgered by the Pharisees and the, other, the others, of the rulers. Why? He's preaching the kingdom of God, and they didn't like it. I believe, I really believe this. When a church is ready to grow, it grows through its people. It grows through its people. I also believe that I need to watch what I say when I say, come to my church. Come to my church. We got a great pastor. You ought to listen to him. He's unbelievable. Danger with that. It's not about that pastor. It's about Jesus. Yes, he's got to bring Jesus to them. But my goodness, folks, it's about the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us. You were you you came to know your Lord and Savior through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe, you know, God uses people. We are we are his instruments, but let's not forget and keep ourselves in our own place where we need to be. We're only his servants. We're only called to bring the message. So you want to shoot the messenger, that's okay. I encourage all of us here today, if you really believe and you are burdened by a lost soul, then, and you know that lost soul, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? I have to ask and look myself in the mirror as well. I do a lousy job in my workout, in my fitness center. Come in with my little towel, boop, put it on the on my lip to go, and away I go. Done, turn it off, clean it up, walk out. Really? Really, is that right? Instead, why don't I pray? Why don't we pray? God, Thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord. Now bring into our, my life someone that I can share the gospel with, some way, shape, or form that I can share the gospel. Small groups, you read a book about evangelism. It's not a hard sell. It's not you grab somebody by the lapel and say, you're going to believe in Jesus or I'm going to knock your teeth out. Pray and find your way, but find it. Find it because their soul is on the line. Is on the line. Bridge the gap. Bridge it with Jesus. Gracious Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you so much for who you are. And Lord, we're all sinners in this place at this time. We sin each and every day. We blow it. We say the wrong things. We think the wrong thoughts. We get discouraged. Then sometimes we're so full of ourselves, we think we are so self-righteous that who can be better than us? But the cross reminds us 
that we need to be humble. We need to be contrite. We need to repent and rebuild our relationship with you. God, I only speak for myself here. But I ask you to forgive me for not being that pastor you want me to be. Forgive me, Lord, in those moments when I walk into that facility. And I don't pray about maybe someone I could talk to. I can run into someone and give me an opportunity to share Christ in some way. Oh, God, forgive me for those missed opportunities. And forgive, forgive, forgive us, Lord, for our missed opportunities. But, Lord, we thank you that you are God of second chances, third, fourth. You are endless in the chances you give us. Help us, Lord, to be the evangelist you want us to be. Help us, Lord, in our own way, in our own life. Share Jesus Christ with others, the unchurched, the unbeliever. For your glory, Lord, not for ours. We thank you, we thank you, we love you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. you guys hear me? Okay, sorry. I couldn't hear myself in my ear, but now I do. Let's go ahead and stand and sing Build My Life as a response to that. Father God, we just thank you, Lord God. We want to respond to your word this morning, and we just want to rededicate our hearts. If there's anyone that needs to rededicate their heart, if they were building, maybe not on the foundation, maybe started building on the foundation, which is you, Jesus but then started building, got distracted and building something else. We ask you, Holy Spirit, right now that you just come and redirect our hearts and build on the rock, which is Jesus, and help us to love those around us, like the song says. Would you sing with me? Worthy of every song could ever 